Well, what a great day this is, because our church family's been pregnant and ready to birth for about 18 months now, and today, that baby has finally arrived, because today, we are officially launching the Grace Fellowship Independence Campus, so let's give it up for what God has done. And... Proud Papa Eric Northrup is over there smiling and showing her off, and he's buying ice cream and pizza for everyone today. And I want to give a shout out to our Fort Thomas campus that's 450 people strong now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So that this year, Lord willing, we're looking to get them into their own facility. No more setup, tear down, and all that, so that they'll have more space to grow and reach more people with the good news of the gospel. Oh, who but God, right? Could have ever imagined 25 years ago with 35 adults huddled up in Turkey Middle School that we would be a church family of over 2,000 people at three campuses now. And be careful, be sure you understand. We know that is what God has chosen to do. Not that we're so cool, we're so smart, we're so slick, we're so... We've cried out to God and we just said, we want to stay true to your word. We want to make disciples. We want to reach lost people. And God has chosen to do this thing that is exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything any of us could ever thought or ask. So praise God. But here's what I... Excuse me. Here's what I want you to understand. Oh, yeah. We're amazed at what God has chosen to do in these first 25 years. But we're convinced the best days are yet ahead. Why? Because things have only gotten worse, you guys, in 25 years, right? Things are far worse. They're darker. They're more broken. They're more twisted. They're more complex and confusing. And that only makes the truth of God's word and the hope of Jesus Christ stand out even greater. This is a great day to be a Christian. This is a great day to be a Christian and get to live for Jesus in the midst of this kind of darkness and brokenness. And so I'm thrilled that you've joined us today as we head into 2020 because we're going to revisit and refocus on who we are and what we believe God has called us to be all about. We have wanted God to set the agenda for Grace Fellowship, not us. We're going to revisit who are we and what do we believe God has called us to be all about. Because I hope you realize, if you've been with us for any length of time, we didn't just stumble through these last 25 years, right? No, 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 no. From the very beginning, we've been standing on some core values that we call big rocks, that we think keep us grounded and keep us from drifting or even chasing after every hot little fad that comes down the pike in our culture. See, we're not trying to see how cool we can be or how big we can get. We actually still want to be biblical. We want to be biblical. Why? Because we believe we want to see changed lives. And if you want to see changed lives, that only happens through the power of God's word and the power of God's son, Jesus Christ. And so we believe to continue to see God work like this, we need to hold to the original eight rocks that we started with. So let's jump into it. Rock number one. Number one, Bible. Now, I know some of you might think that's a no-brainer. Of course, the Bible. Not today, sadly. Sadly. It used to be if you thought church, you thought Bible. A lot of churches are about everything under the sun except the Bible. You don't need to bring one. They don't use it. They don't refer to it. Church has just become this inspirational place where you can be the best you that you can be. We still believe Bible. How much of it? Oh, say it again. All of it. We never have any elders meetings where we're like, now we need to decide this year. I mean, let's get real. It's 2020. We can't teach all. We can't say creation was in six days because God spoke it. We got to let go of that. We can't say marriage, one man, woman. Folks, we don't have elders meetings like that. We still believe the Bible, how much? All of it. And we don't want you to just own one and bring it with you to church. That's a great start. We're actually shooting for more. 
We want the Bible to begin to renew our minds and change how we think and soak down into us so that it really is who we are. We want you to be thinking like God thinks about marriage and relationships and money and work and parenting and suffering and security and identity and every other issue that we face in this world because God's word tells us that he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. The word of God, Bible. Because here's what you need to realize. When you build your life, not just around God's word, but on God's word as the very foundation for your life, you do not fall apart. Even when the toughest storms hit, and they will. The Bible never promised that storms wouldn't hit. They will hit. The question is, will you be built on a foundation that will keep you from falling apart? That's the only question, not if storms are coming, but when they come, Will you be able to stand or will you collapse? And that all depends on your foundation. That's why Jesus taught the way he did in Luke chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, go there with me to Luke chapter 6. I want to show you what Jesus said about the word of God. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Luke 6, verse 46. Here's Jesus talking to a crowd. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. I'll show you what he's like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When, notice not if, when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it. Why? Because it was well built. But, he's he's making a big contrast here, but the one who hears my word. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Look at me. The house on the rock that stands and the house on level ground or stand that collapses both heard God's word. Sometimes we got people thinking, oh, the difference is you got to sit under good teaching. You got to get under good preaching. You need to get back in church. And maybe you do. But you can be ignorant of God's word and you can hear God's word and still have a life that collapses. Because the next phrase is the distinction. They hear God's word. But do not put those words into practice. It's like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed. And its destruction was complete. Folks, I want you to understand the distinction that Jesus is making between a house or life. I hope you realize that's a life. Built on the rock and a life on level ground or sand is not just that you hear God's word. It's that you put it into, say it. And notice it's not a shot in the dark. Like for one weekend, I try to do what God's word says. Ah, that didn't work. Like when I counsel people, I try to show them sometimes what they're doing that's not in alignment with God's word. And here's what he says to do. And they'll do it for Friday, Saturday. And they come back like, I tried that all weekend. Didn't make a difference. Folks, put it into, say it, practice. How am I going to make this happen? Will we ever be perfect? But folks... You got to more and more think like God thinks, know what God says, and then say, oh God, where does my thinking need to change? What do I need to get out of my life? What do I need more in my life? What is out of alignment? What is crooked? You're going to have to work by God's grace and his spirit to make these things, things that you put into practice, that you put into practice, that you put into practice. That's what makes the difference. That's what puts you on the rock. But as human beings, this is so hard for us. We struggle with this, and here's why. We're not a blank slate. We're not like, oh, thank you very much, God, for that news on marriage and relationships and sexuality and gender, because I had no thoughts of my own. I wish. Because we're sinners, we know what we already think. And we have these strong feelings. That's not what I feel. I just feel like, I just feel like God would. I just feel, I just feel, and I already think. I feel, and I think. I feel, and I think. And folks... 
You go through life doing what you think and what you feel, and you'll be on a path of confusion and destruction every time. You cannot go with what you think and what, what, you, what you feel. Now, after several decades of having your mind renewed and putting it into practice, I hope that you'll actually begin to think some things that are right and feel some things that are right. But it'll still be a struggle. I still have these feelings crop up that feel so real and so right, and they are so wrong. I have to choose to submit my life to God's word and then commit my life to putting it into practice. That's when you're on the rock. But oh, we struggle. We resist the authority of God's word because we think we know. We think we know. We think we know. And this is not a new problem. This is an original Garden of Eden problem. Adam and Eve thought they knew better and felt God was holding out on from the very beginning. This has been our problem. Don't want to submit to God's authority. God's way. Don't think he's good. Don't think his ways would be better. Don't think he's for us. So we choose to do what we think and with what we feel. After captivating an audience at Yale University, a graduation, the late novelist and philosopher Ayn Rand, she wrote Atlas Shrugged, big fat book, pretty famous. And she was not a believer. She did not advocate faith. In fact, she pressed and taught that reason, human reason, was the only means by which we could acquire knowledge and know what we should do. But after her graduation speech, a reporter asked her, what's wrong with the modern world? And without a moment's hesitation, she said this, quote, never before has the world been so desperately asking for answers to crucial questions. And never before has the world been so frantically committed to the idea that no answers are possible. And then she said, to paraphrase the Bible, to paraphrase the Bible, the modern attitude is, Father, forgive us, for we know not what we are doing. And please don't tell us. That's only gotten worse. You know, our world, our world has enough sense to know we got major problems. We got major relational problems. We got major fallout. We got more and more people ruining their lives. And yet they're still convinced that it can't be God. Not that. Not God. Not God's words. Not God's ways. What else? What else? What else? They're frantically searching for answers to crucial questions that God's word gives us. But they say, please don't tell us from God. Someone else, someone else, someone, does anyone else have a thought? That has been the human heart from the very beginning. Oh, listen to me. There is a God and he is not silent. He has spoken to us. He's not hiding. He wants us to know he has spoken to us through his word. And the day you make the decision personally, no one else can do this for you. The day you make the decision personally to submit to his word and to commit to putting it into practice will be a great day for you. It won't be problem-free, hurt-free, trial-free, but oh my goodness, there'll be more clarity. There'll be less complexity. You'll have more hope and joy and purpose and a sense of his presence. Bible, rock number one. Rock number two, grace. Oh, what a life-changing word this is. Grace, which is why the Bible uses the word grace 155 times in the New Testament. This theme of grace runs all through the New Testament. Grace. Because the Bible teaches that God saves us by grace. And he changes us by grace. More and more into the image of his son. Listen to me. This is not... This is not the common thought out in our culture, but the Bible makes it absolutely clear that salvation is a free gift that you cannot earn. You could never be good enough. You could never keep the Ten Commandments, my friend. That's why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And as if that was not clear enough. Not of works. Say it with me. Not of works. Say it again. Not of works. Why? 
lest anyone should boast. You guys, the Bible teaches that salvation is by grace alone. It's a gift. Through faith alone. You can't work for it. In Christ alone. He's the only way. There are not multiple ways to choose from. Plus, nothing. Oh, surely I've got to add something. Surely I bring something to the equation. Folks, all you bring is your wretched sin. That's what you bring. And then a willingness to acknowledge it and say, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need a Savior. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, plus nothing. Oh my goodness, that's hard for us. Now, if you're here and you know Christ, then you're like, that sounds like such good news. It is. But if you don't know him, the human heart, we're hardwired, you guys, for achievement, merit, works. It is so hard for us to just accept a free gift and think there's nothing we can do. Nothing. Because we tend to think, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Free gift. Free gift. And let me tell you, sometimes what gets in the way of our ability to receive this free gift most, this might surprise some of you, is religion. I said it. Oh, people that are just raw pagans, far from God, no religion, not even trying to, trying to pretend. I watch often, it's easier for them to come to faith in Christ than righteous, self-righteous, so-called that have never done anything horrible, that are caught up in religion. Whatever it looks like. Oh, I've been baptized. I light some candles. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I don't, I'm not like him. I'm not like her. I'm, I'm, I'm. Whatever the list is, religion. Here's my favorite distinction between religion and true salvation that is a relationship with Jesus. Religion is spelled D-O. Because it is focused on what you're still trying to do to be good enough to earn God's favor. And the list may vary. The boxes you're checking may vary. But it still boils down to it's focused on me and what I'm trying to do that makes me in a different category than everyone else. That, that makes me better. I'm trying to be good enough that God will say, okay, you're in. Now, here's the problem with the whole good enough religious system. And it's captured by one question. How good is good enough? How do you know? How do you know when you're there? How do you know you're even working on the right things? Maybe I'm doing great at these things, but they're not the right things. Or maybe I'm going hard, but not hard enough. You live with insecurity and a lack of peace. Why? Because it's still really focused on you. And you never know, and you never know, and you never know. And religion is an exhausting treadmill of insecurity. And that's why when someone asks you, hey, if you were to die today, do you think you'd go to heaven? Well, I hope so, because I hope my good will outweigh my bad. Let me help you. It won't. It won't. It won't. And so religion is spelled D-O because it's still focused on you and what you're trying to do for God to earn his favor. While true salvation, that's a relationship with Jesus, is spelled D-O-N-E. Because it's focused on what Jesus has done for us in living the only perfect life that fully kept the Ten Commandments and then dying the only sinless perfect death in full, final all-sufficient payment for our sins. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Full, final, all-sufficient, never needs to be done again payment for our sins. Past, present, and future. You, oh my goodness. When you understand that, that makes you want to say hallelujah, praise the Lord. Here's the reason people that are caught up in religion still don't have a lot of joy and they don't tell other people about it very much. Because they know I'm exhausted. Why would I share this with someone? Hey, you want to be as tired as I am? Hey, you want to feel as insecure and hopeless as I do? No. But when you have this understanding, that's why this leads right into rock number three. Missions. 
when you are truly gripped by the true gospel, that it's by salvation alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing, you'll want to tell somebody else. Because it's not a system. You don't draw them a diagram. It's a person. And he's real to you. And you love him. And you worship him. And you're following him. And you can't help but tell somebody else about this because it's changed your life. You talk about Jesus. You talk about this amazing good news of the gospel. Missions. Missions. You see, we have a mission that keeps us moving forward. Not sitting still. Moving forward. Not sitting still. Because Grace Fellowship is not a club. It's not a secret society with a secret handshake. And certainly not big business. Folks, the Grace Fellowship Church family is the church of Jesus Christ. The bride of Christ. That Jesus who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. So many Christians don't understand that. Gates don't attack anyone. Guess what that means? We're on the move. We are on the offensive. We are going. We are moving. Why? Because our God is on the move. Our God is not sitting still. He moves and we're to follow him. We're to follow him. We're to follow him. Mission, mission, mission. Now, that doesn't mean I need all of you to quit your jobs and and try to get on staff here. Please don't. We cannot do that. But you're a Toyota engineer. You're a school teacher. You're a pharmaceutical sales rep. You sell cars. You're an architect. You're an artist. I don't care what you are. But you also know I'm on mission. There are other artists that desperately need Jesus. There are other engineers that need Jesus. There are people in those medical offices that need Jesus. How would you use me, God? I'm on mission. I've got this good news. I've got this person that loves me and changed my life. And I'm looking for ways to share this with others. That's why we would spend over $2 million, you guys, turning a Kroger into a church campus. Because we think God's called us to go. We don't expect people in independence to go to Fort Thomas or Florence. We want to go where people are, into those neighborhoods and that community. We want to try to reach some of those 28,000 people. Those neighborhoods that are just popping up. All the farms when I first moved here are now neighborhoods everywhere with people who desperately need this good news and this glorious Savior. So we go where they are. We don't expect them to come to. It's not a wait and see. Come Well, everyone's welcome. They're welcome. Come. We don't do come and see. We do go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. And it's costly. It costs us more. We lost some of our best people. Love you. Glad you're here. But some of our very best, not that you're not good. Because now here's what I love. You've got to step it up. We've got gaps now. We've got people that we're serving. Some of our people that were right on the front lines, they went. And so, tag, you're it. You get to serve this year. And it is exciting. More people end up serving, getting involved, growing, getting equipped. But we go. We go. Because our mandate is 2 Corinthians 2.14 that says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us. He's moving. He leads us in his triumph in Christ Jesus. And as he leads us and we follow and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. We're not out in independence trying to promote the brand of GFC, anything about us. We're there to be the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Jesus. 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 The word of God. The grace of God, the mission of God that he has us on leads us right into rock number four. Serving like Jesus served us. Do you realize you're never more like your Savior than when you're serving and giving your life away for others? You're never more like your Savior, Jesus, than when you're serving and giving your life away. Stop waiting to do a healing or a miracle. If he wants to use you to do that, great. But I'm telling you what we all can do. Give our lives away and lay down our lives and be a servant. Just one loving little deed at a time. Jesus himself said in Mark 10, 45. He said, the son of man did not come to be served. But to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Jesus came to serve and give his life away. And if we say that we're following him and he lives in us, then serving and giving should characterize us. That should characterize us. Serving and giving and letting go of our lives and laying down our lives. I know people want to be a part of something bigger, something grander than their own little world, something greater. Every human being has this sense because we're created in the image of God. And we're not just dogs or houseplants. Something greater, something bigger. I want to be connected to something. Let me help you here. Let me help you with that aspiration. I'm glad it's there. But here's what sometimes people fail to recognize. Some of the biggest things you could be a part of in God's kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. Are comprised of little acts of kindness and serving. Just laying down your life. One little deed at a time. Laying down your life. See, a life lived for Jesus. You want to live for Jesus? I want to live for Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. A life lived for Jesus is a life that simply strings together what might look like dozens, if not hundreds, of little, insignificant, often inconvenient moments of serving others week after week, month after month, year after year, For a lifetime, even while maybe you live that lifetime thinking to yourself, I've never been a part of anything big. I've never been a part of anything. And you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. Oh, listen to me. It's keeping the nursery. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's keeping the nursery so that a young mom can have one hour. One hour of corporate worship. To remember, oh, that's right, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God before I ever birthed a human child. Oh, thank you for 75 minutes that I could be here and collect my thoughts and be reminded of my identity in Christ. But someone had to bounce that baby on their hip and care so that she could have that moment. It's stepping up and teaching a little children's class and dropping the truth of God's word in seed form in little young hearts so that it would take root early, not later, but early. And I know sometimes you don't think they're getting any of this. You'd be surprised what they're getting because God's word is powerful and he said it would not return void. It's teaching your children's class and dropping. But yeah, you'll have to carve out some time on a Saturday to go over the lesson, maybe create the craft. Maybe It'll cost you, but not like dying in a prison in China. But our flesh bows up at any inconvenience, any kind of cost. It's coming early simply to stand at the church door and give a warm smile and greet. greet. It's coming even earlier to brew coffee. Aren't you glad for that? Somebody did that. We don't have the coffee God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the coffee. Real people like you. Some of them have little babies strapped to the front of them and they come. When I'm here at 7 a.m. to begin to brew coffee, but they had to get up early, dress the baby, put that little papoose thing on, and they didn't say, oh, I can't serve because I've got a little one. They're serving to brew coffee, to push a little cart around, to to refill cup dispensers and get out sugar packets. It's it's coming home from work knowing you're not going to chill out, but I need to clean the hall bathroom, circle up some chairs because I agreed to host a small group, which means, oh, got to be there. It's happening in my house. I can't just think, oh, it's dark. It's rainy. We won't go. It's odd to be in the bedroom and say, not coming. Please don't leave all the lights on. That's expensive. Turn it off as you leave. You can't do that. Tag your it. You agreed to host. But it's that kind of serving. It's agreeing to lead a community group. You say, I've been fed so long and I've been given so much. I'm going to serve. And shepherd others and care. I'll lead. I'll lead. I'll lead. It's agreeing to play an instrument or sing so that you could lead God's people on Sunday and worship. But guess what? They rehearse on Saturday. No. Yes. Now, a couple hours on Saturday, they rehearse so that they can lead us on Sunday. It's getting trained, some training, to know how to use your Bible to sit down with a real person who's struggling and give them biblical. Some of you know so much Bible. It's time to figure out how to use that Bible to help a real person. To help a real person. Oh man, we've got people that need help. The requests are just more than we can even respond to. To help a real person 
who really needs hope and help from God's word. It's that and so much more, so much more, so much more. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, and I think it's interesting, that is, I think it's Pilgrim's Progress by Bunyan. Bible's number one bestseller, Pilgrim's Progress. Number three, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Notice, people are hungry to have purpose. That book that is actually a Christian book just shot to the top of the New York Times and stayed there forever. Purpose Driven Life. Why am I here? What, what, what am I to be about? And listen to what he says. Quote, great opportunities often disguise themselves in small tasks. The little things in life determine the big things. Don't look for great tasks to do for God. Just do the not-so-great stuff. Before attempting the extraordinary, try serving in ordinary ways. There will always be more people willing to do, quote, great things for God than there are people willing to do the little things. The race to be a leader is crowded. But the field is wide open for those willing to be servants. Now, I don't mean to put myself forward as great. I'm a sinner. I've told you that enough. I'm giving bad stories. Let me give a good story. I hope you know, I just, I had no thoughts that God would ever use me for things like this. I was just playing my guitar in Children's Church Opening Assembly in South Carolina. I stepped up. They needed someone. And I, loved, I served in Children's Church Opening Assembly. And then I just started playing my guitar with some singles and others, just doing behind the scenes things like that. So that when the pastor reached out to me, and I had a, this is going to date me, I had a note stuck on my door that said, call the senior pastor, which meant we go to this phone that had a cord on the wall, kids. Cord on the wall. He wants to meet with you. I was like, I cannot imagine why. I didn't know he even knew me. I just said, hello, at the front door. And I sat down and he said, we want you to be our full-time youth and music pastor. I told the man no five times in five different meetings because I couldn't even read music. Uh, I'm just playing DGC. This is a choir with organ and piano. No! And he said, you have the heart we're looking for. We can teach you all that other stuff. My point is, I was found and tapped for more as I was just serving where it was needed. I wasn't waiting. Oh, but I'm a Bible college student. I'm working on Greek and Hebrew. I'm waiting for something spectacular. No, they needed someone to help with children's church. They needed someone. And I just said, sure, yes, yes, yes. Just start serving in ordinary ways. I can't tell you how many times sometimes people reach out to me with an email or face-to-face and say, Brad, I want to serve this year. And I start giving all kinds of suggestions like, what? not that, not that, not that, not that, not that, not that. You don't really want to serve. You have a very narrow idea of what you want to do. Start giving your life away. Stop waiting for the spectacular. Stop Stop looking at the stage where they joust. They're jousting for the spotlight of the spectacular. And just say, Lord, where's there a need? Where's there a need? And then sometimes that also puts you outside of your comfort zone, which we're going to get to in a minute, which isn't bad. The reason I said no five times is I'd spent my entire undergrad declaring out loud to anyone who would listen, I will never be a youth pastor. Hate it. Hate lock-ins, hate being dirty, hate being tired, hate rolling around in Cool Whip. Don't want to do any of that. I watched all my friends drive off in little vans on the weekend, not doing student ministry, and I can't read music. Why would you offer me youth and music? Because for the first three months, I felt like throwing up because I was outside of my... Brad Bigney is actually very gifted in certain areas and confident in certain areas, and God pushed me somewhere I was not. Because that's when he gets the most glory. Serving like Jesus. Stop waiting for the spectacular. Start with the ordinary. And here's what I believe. Here's what will happen. God may just let you serve in these ordinary ways for a lifetime. You may get tapped for something else. But at the end of your life, either way, it doesn't matter. I believe you will hear those precious words. We would all love to hear from our Savior. Well done, Good and faithful. What's the word? There's nowhere in the Bible that we have Jesus saying, Well done, 
amazingly gifted, off-the-chart woman, girl. How do you do it? Wow. Wish I had more like you. Never. Giftedness often gets in the way of God's glory. Weak. Fearful. Outside of my comfort zone. Perfect. Now he gets the glory. Now he'll have to show up. Now you will be dependent and you will cry out, which leads us to that next rock. Rock number five, prayer. Oh, when you're a little bit outside of your comfort zone, oh, when you've taken a risk, you'll pray. You know, people say, why do you pray like you do, Brad? Because I'm terrified. And I feel inadequate, insufficient, in over my head. I can't do this. I don't wake up thinking I can lead a church family this size. And so I pray. And so I pray. But I was praying when it was 80 people. I just said, oh, God, you've got to do this. Oh, God, would you help? Oh, God, would you lead? Oh, God, would you work? Oh, God, would you change lives? And I haven't stopped. We want to be a church that prays about everything. We don't want prayer to be just like parsley on the side of the plate or a hood ornament. You know, you open meetings with prayer. You close with prayer. No, no, no. We want to pray about everything. Because we, we actually believe what Jesus said in John 15 when he said... I am the vine. You're nothing but a branch. Apart from me, you can do how much? You guys, when you truly believe you can do nothing, you pray about everything. Does that make sense? Prayer gets saved for that big thing, so let's turn that around. The fact that most Christians pray so little is an indictment about how much they think they can do without him. That makes sense? When you truly realize, I can do nothing, then you pray about everything. You pray about everything, everything, everything. What about you? What's your prayer life like? How much do you pray? Do you just save prayer as if it's this special thing for that big, huge difficulty that's coming? It's an indication of what you think you can do in your own strength. Begin this year to pray about everything, everything. Everything, everything. Because here's what I think is interesting. The real definition and purpose of prayer is, I hope you realize, set in the context of warfare. Those of you that have been Christians for a while, when I say spiritual warfare, what chapter of the Bible do you think of? Ephesians 6. That's where we get put on the armor, helmet, shield, belt of truth, gospel. It's a warfare passage where God says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and principalities and forces of darkness. Well, here's what's interesting. Prayer is also in that chapter. Most people stop with all the armor. Paul didn't stop. He told us what prayer was for. And so that's why Ephesians 6, 18, 19 sound the way they do. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you hear that? Prayer was not given to us to be used like some kind of intercom system on a cruise ship to beep room service for more good stuff. Prayer was meant to be a a radio, a wartime walkie-talkie or radio where you call for backup and ask God to cover you as you go into the front lines and do something that you're less than comfortable with. Even if it's teaching a children's class or serving someone or reaching out to that lost coworker or saying, hey, I'd love to do a Bible study or whatever it looks like, you're a little out of your comfort zone and you say, God, cover me. God, help me. God, go with me. Prayer was designed for that. And that's why so many Christians get frustrated and say, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, you're using it wrong. All right? It was never meant to be, oh, prayer is this secret. Now, you can go home and turn on the cable television or buy the best-selling books and get what I'm about to say is wrong. Prayer was never meant to be a secret formula that moves you from cabin to first class because you know how to ask. If you ask right and push the right buttons, you'll never ride in cabin again first class that is garbage it's not biblical 
prayer was given to us because he assumed as he leads us, we're following. And as we're following, we're ill at ease sometimes. We're not comfortable. We're not in our comfort zone. And so he says, you have direct access to me day and night, day and night. Call, call in the name of Jesus. I will be with you and I will help you. It was never meant to be name it, claim it. It was meant to be, God, here I go. I must have you. Break through in this counseling thing tonight. Meet us at the kitchen table. Meet us in Panera Bread. Go with me to that children's class. Help me, oh God, as I step onto this campus. That's the purpose of prayer. And it's amazing that he's given us that because of the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to wonder if you've been good enough. You can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy, to help in time of need. And sometimes those time of need are, I've blown it, I need forgiveness. But sometimes that time of need is, here we go. God, I'm convinced you want me to do this, but I'm scared. Help me. And he will. He will. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Number seven, God-focused worship. Notice, I didn't even call it music. I didn't call it singing. Worship. God-focused worship. Oh, we want our worship here at Grace Fellowship to be God-focused. We don't want it to be entertainment-focused. And so that's why we put the emphasis on God, His glory, His Son, His resurrection, his sovereign rule and reign. Sometimes we get a little pushback. And people will come who've been Christians for a while. I don't know the songs. I don't know the songs you sing. And it's not the hot songs on Christian radio. Every now and then we sing one that's on the radio. Let me help you. There's so many bad songs on the Christian radio. They're pathetic. They're shallow. They have bad theology. And it's all about us. It's all about us. It's all about us. Folks. When you put the emphasis on God, when, when you focus on you, it doesn't help you at all. When you focus on God, it changes you. It changes you. And that's why our worship here is not a warm-up. I have no sympathy for those like, well, I don't like singing. And you pace the foyer until it's time for the sermon. Folks, I believe lives are changed as we sing God's truth and focus on who he is. And as we preach and teach God's truth, you are changed by God. So we got to go looking for better songs. That's why sometimes you don't know them. I always wonder, why doesn't Caleb and these other places play more of these great songs? That's my big question. But I don't have to, I don't run Caleb. I'm helping lead Grace Fellowship. So there will continue to be a lot of songs you don't hear on the radio. But I think they bring you into the presence of God and remind you how big he is. Worship, God-focused worship is a wake-up call that reorients you like snapping open, smelling salts. Because I don't know about you, it only takes me seven days or less to revert back to a worldly, fearful coma as the world impacts me with all the darkness And I need to be realigned again and refocused and reminded, oh, that's our God. That's who he is. That's what he's done. And he's for me. The focus on God is good for us. He's not some egomaniac that needs his ego stroke. He knows how we're wired. We benefit when we see how big he is. So we're we're committed to God-focused Worship, which relates closely to our final rock, sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. Oh, this is different than a lot of churches, folks. A lot of churches are so focused on people, 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 people. And poor God, maybe he can do something, maybe he can't, we don't know. We believe the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation that our God is absolutely in control of everything. That's what the Bible teaches. Never mind what you're seeing on the news. I know you're thinking right now, but what about, what about, what about, what about? I'll let you take that up with him one day. Yes, there's evil. Yes, it's dark. Yes, it's broken. But yes, he is on his throne and in control over all of history. If you'd read your Bible, it wouldn't freak you out as much. And you'll see him Using wicked people like Nebuchadnezzar and letting them reign for 70 years, but then punishing them. 70 years is a lifetime for some of us. She said, well, the whole time I was alive, it was bad. Yeah, God can do that if he wants to. 
He's big. He knows what he's doing. There is nothing random. From the vastness of the universe to the smallest molecule, there is not one random molecule running around loose in this universe. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns so that everything, he either directly causes everything or consciously allows everything for his glory and our good. So we've got a phrase that we summarize this truth with that we've been using for decades. God limits, orders, and controls. How much? Say it again. All things for his glory and our good. And what that means for you as a child of God is that everything that comes into your life, both good and bad, joyful and tragic, is father-filtered. It came through his hands first. Can I tell you why? No. You don't always get a memo or an email or a heads up. But you have this assurance from Scripture. Everything that comes into your life is father-filtered. He's sovereign He's up to something, whether you understand it or not, for his glory and our good. For his glory and our good. That's why the scriptures say in Psalm 115, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. We got a lot of churches that teach he does whatever he can get by with, depending on who's in Washington. That's sad. We got a God who wants to do all kinds of things, but can't. The Bible doesn't. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Job 42.2. I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. There's nothing that God wants to do but can't do today. Because of the darkness. Because of the evil. He's sovereign. And that's why Romans 8.28 says, We know all things work together for good. It does not say all things are good. Some really bad things and evil things can happen to you. All things work together for good and not just to everybody, to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Sovereignty. Sovereignty. That'll help you sleep better. Doesn't answer all your questions, but you can lay your head on your pillow knowing I have a father He's good. And this came through his hands first. He's up to something for his glory and my good. And my good. I'll trust him. I'll rest in him. I'll hold on to him. I'll keep moving forward. I don't have to have all the answers. One of our missionaries, I forget which one it was, old time, said, I may not know the way he leads, but well, I know my Lord. Some of you struggle not because he hasn't told you all the details, Because you don't know him well enough. You don't know him. And you can't trust people you don't know. Get to Stop looking for explanations and say, God, I want a greater revelation of who you are. I've got to know you this year. I want to know you this year. I want to know you this year. And then please know that will be connected to God's word. You will not just sit in your sunroom and say, download more knowledge of God. If you want to know him this year, you will have to read his word. He reveals himself to us through his glorious, life-changing word. And I know that was like drinking from a fire hydrant and was a lot to take in. So I want you to think about this some more. I've actually given you some homework today. Notice at the top of your bullets, and I gave you a rating system, ABC, because I want you to consider personally, where am I in relation to these eight big rocks? See, look at me a minute. Whether it's Florence, Fort Thomas, Independence, these eight big rocks are just words on paper, you guys. Unless real people like you and me live these eight big rocks out in a real world, then we're just kidding ourselves. Tons of corporations and people have visions on the wall, something written with a little stream or a set of stones, and it means nothing because no one's doing it. You are Grace Fellowship, not the elders, so we will only be whatever you are. To what degree are these rocks your rocks? And I know I don't want you to be overwhelmed and say, oh, I need help in all. That won't work. Just pick one. Maybe pick two. Where do you want to grow this year spiritually? Say, God, do I need to start reading your word like I haven't been? Do I need to plug into a group, a place where, where I can have others help me put this into practice? That's why we have groups. 
We believe Christians grow best at close range with other Christians. That's why we're not coming back on Sunday night, not just to see the playoffs, not just because football's in there and we don't want to miss it. Some of you maybe grew up in a church that was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I did. I didn't see people grow like we've got people growing here. Because information and Bible knowledge alone is not enough. Where do you get help putting it into practice? That's what groups are about. To pray for each other. To put it into practice. To hold on to each other. To celebrate joys and to help with sorrows and kind of do life together. It's where a big church family like this becomes small. What would God have you do this year that would help your spiritual life as you own a rock or two as your own? But in the final minute, I want to set aside our eight big rocks. And I want, to, I want you to think for a minute about the rock, Jesus Christ, of our salvation, who is the precious cornerstone. Oh, listen to me. First Peter chapter 2 says this. For those who believe, Jesus is the precious cornerstone. But for those who do not believe, he is a stumbling block and even an offense. So let me ask you, what about you? Is Jesus your precious cornerstone of your spiritual life? Is he the rock of your salvation? Or do you just keep stumbling into Jesus and being offended by him because you're still so busy doing your religious thing for God? There's no middle ground with Jesus, you guys. He's either precious to you or he's offensive to you. Because if you're busy doing your religious thing, it's offensive to think you need a savior, to think he did it all. Where are you? Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Say yes to Jesus being your spiritual cornerstone. Don't just add Jesus to the edge of your life. Cornerstone's essential, right? The building collapses without it. Say, I want to build my life on Jesus as my cornerstone. Come to Christ this year. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son. Thank you for giving us the body of Christ, each other. Oh God, in this new year, as we head into a dark year, thank you that you lead us. You don't shout from behind. You don't hurt us. You lead us. Oh, lead on, oh, King Eternal. Lead us in your triumph in Christ Jesus and manifest through us this year the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place. For your glory, not ours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.